Hello, everyone, and welcome to season two of Chaplin Talks. I am your host, Spencer Chaplin. I just want to say thank you so much to every single person who has listened to the podcast. Please head over to YouTube, where you can watch all these interviews in full, along with uh, exclusive clips and photos that I uh, add on there from the Chaplin archive. So please head over there, Chaplin Talks YouTube page, and subscribe. Today's guest is none other than the very talented actor, Billy Zane. We're going to find out why his idols are Gene Kelly, Buster Keaton, Sean Connery, and Charlie Chaplin. We talk about everything from Back to the Future to the Titanic. So without further ado, everybody, please welcome Billy Zane. Billy Zane, thank you so much for coming on Chaplin Talks. How are you doing? I'm well, Spencer. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I can tell you, I've been looking back over your career, and I was very, very surprised to see that your very first acting role was in Back to the Future, um, which is pretty <laughs> intense for a first role, you know? Uh, what I mean, the pressure must have yeah. been pretty big for you. We used, to, we used to say it was a baptism by fire. Kind of, <laughs> all right, that's a way to jump into the deep. End. No, what a, what a great pleasure that was. I, I kind of, um, you know, d debunked the, uh, I think the standard run when one decides to go to Hollywood when they're 18 to ostensibly take a year off from what would be film school or college or any really higher learning at that point, just for, you know, a year, a sabbatical, yeah. and in two weeks, start working, you know, get a job like that, which kept him busy for maybe six months or so, perhaps a little over half a year. We shot it twice, you know, with a, a recast. Yeah, yeah, of, exactly. Um, or Eric Stoltz for Michael J. So not only was it, you know, your first movie, but you got a do-over, you know, <laughs> and once you learn some of the tricks, you're like, all right, I think I got this now. Do you mind doing it just one more time? <laughs> Steven and Bob. Just so we can, uh, you know, I think I'll get it right this time. My one line, I think, which was shit, or I think I scream when we get dumped manure or get him. Yeah. How how, um, how did you get that role then? That was an audition. That was simply, um, we went in to read for Biff. They had already cast Tom Wilson, the wonderfully talented Thomas Wilson. And uh, and so glad they did. He was the, just one of the funniest, most charming people to this day. And um, obviously we didn't have many, uh, much dialogue for his kind of, you know, minions, his, his support, you know, his gang. Yeah. So we all read Biff dialogue and uh, they chose and they, they just put a group together that seemed to make sense between, you know, 3D skinhead and I think my character's name was Match. Okay. That's so, amazing. It was an, yeah, a simply an audition and, I wore a, uh, I remember wearing a Jetsons very pop cultural kind of retro t-shirt, <laughs> knowingly that it played to the ethos of what I felt the film was trying to capture, this kind of historic, modern kind of quirky pop thing. And they referenced it when we got on set. Bob Biel was like, I remember that t-shirt. Oh, really? So, you, you know, every nothing is arbitrary in your, in your 15 minutes of whatever you need in the room, you know, dress for success, whatever that means, or at least, you know, know that uh, they're, they're looking at everything and everything communicates.
communicates um, somehow. I, I was it was a it was an early lesson, a welcomed one, when I applied for the rest of my career, which was to really you know realizing the uh, strange impact of small things. Yeah. In a room. No, absolutely. No, I love that film. And because you grew up in Chicago, am I correct? Correct. Yeah. So at what age did you realize that act, acting was your thing, that you wanted to become an actor? Um, well, my family were uh, professional actors in Chicago. They did theater there. My parents were on stage before they started a business in the, in the medical and educational field in the wow late seventies, but while they were, they were on stage, I remember being exposed to some of the best, um, from the American stage. And then we'd even go to England in September with uh, the Goodman theater out of Chicago for oh, wow. quite a few years to see the, like a collection of some of the best of that. So it was really in my blood at, at a young age and, you know, call it genetics and exposure, nature and nurture. And I was, uh, I thought, well, this is a, a really cool and logical pursuit for a young man that like every young man who wants independence and to, you know, make some money and get his own pad and, you know, <laughs> start to be, a, you know, yeah. a, it was, it was the quickest route towards all of those things while being um, seemingly quite fun uh, and, a, and a great excuse to not go to school. So I, <laughs> room, which I, you know, only pined for as an adult much later. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> now, kind of kicking my way through the back door of uh, academia. So okay, and uh, so I assume you're when you tell your parents that you want to go into acting, they were quite supportive. Then they were incredibly. My mom was a bit hesitant to send her boy to Hollywood at eighteen. <laughs> Dad was like, "Do it, go for it." You okay. know, he, he came with me. We looked for you know places to stay, and uh, I. Um, I had an agent, which was good from Chicago. It wasn't like I was free in a free fall. I had a really good kind of support network, which was critical and quickly had very good friends. Um, my sister mm -hmm. followed soon after. So that was nice. Oh, amazing. Yeah. But yeah, unlike, you know, I, it was fairly quick to land a gig that, you know, supported me. That was very fortunate and rare. And uh, I never took it for granted. Yeah, it's true. Because you, you hear all these stories of people going to audition after audition after audition. They say for every 500 auditions, maybe you get one. So Don't, don't get me wrong. You still do that. For, you, you still do it. I mean, that was just the first one. Yeah. Trust me, the minute, you're, the minute anyone is hired in Hollywood, they're panicked about the next one. It's, a, it's, <laughs> okay. a, it's an insane, volatile business model as far as a career. Mm -hmm. We're, you know, tradesmen. We are, we are roofers in a housing industry. We, you know, we we do this, you know. And if I hope, you know, I hope it's a good market, you know. Uh, it, that that the, the life of the actor, interesting yeah. one. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I'm sure you've heard it 500 million times, but your performance was so, I mean, so incredible into Titanic. You know, how how was it working with a director like? James Cameron. I mean, did, did you enjoy making the film? Entirely. Um, that was a, a pleasure on so many levels. Um, you know, he's not necessarily known for his humor and his comedy, but it's where we connected most. You oh, know, how you interesting. Know, and, and 
Um, he's a he's a great wit, and we both love puns. And um, <laughs> I I just had a, such a great. I had, we had such a funny time playing and diving into the the hubris of the character was comedic. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. it was so brazen, and you know, the character Cal kind of carried the age. You know the period of that film yeah. and again the hoopless and and uh, the the shortcomings that fueled the, tr the tragedy that you know the idea of being more concerned by the whereabouts of his you know fiance versus the sinking of the ship which was irrelevant if not a nuisance was was the source of much laughter for us in many of the choices and okay. you know collaborative inventions we came along the way so it was a great pleasure to make um a difficult film naturally but it's you know mm. sinking boat in cold water and it is where it is but um but uh jaw-dropping in its scope and scale when you realize the thousands of workmen and women and tradesmen um civic engineers people who'd never worked on films before worked on that movie in order right? to execute this undertaking so you you know it was a, beyond a construction site it was like you know heart going to the building of you know the tallest building in the world and the jet propulsion laboratory wow. you know engaging a you know a moonshot lunar landing <laughs> uh, you know it was it was this mixture of of you know heavy industry and and deep science and um, new technology that had not been necessarily proven or tested. Yeah. Craft the other day. That was cool. Yeah, because I mean, that, that kind of James Cameron, like my grandfather, I mean, he is a perfectionist when it comes to, to his movies as well. Um, no question. Because uh, I would yeah. equate them for sure and put them in a similar category. No yeah. Question. And because uh, it's funny, because you know my uh, my grandfather, in order he would do whatever it took to to, to get a take with Edna Proviance in the uh, in the film The Immigrant. There's a scene where they're eating beans, and apparently he just made her do it over and over again until she got the scene right. <laughs> <laughs> that's you know there's uh, and it paid off because that's what you know here's exactly. the story about it, and the scene is perfect. So <laughs> and she probably spent, spent you know some time in. Restroom. <laughs> 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 so we suffer for our craft. <laughs> exactly. And uh, so you've stated that your heroes are Sean Connery, Gene Kelly, Buster Keaton, and Charlie Chaplin. Um, there are a lot of great actors out there. What makes these people stand out to you most? Then why why these guys? Because in one way or another, they're they're. I mean, that decision was, that list was based upon my passion and career choice and my kind of scope of reference, right? They, they held the brass ring. Mm. And I would, I would put it in reverse order, to be honest. Um, you know, I spoke through the lens of an actor and aspiration, but truly, you, you know, your grandfather kind of leads the charge and is the bow sprint on so much when it, uh, when describing uh, cinema uh, uh, and as as public service, you know, and we'll get to that. Mm -hmm. um, but um, 
I've, they're all filmmakers, you know, even the actors, right? Absolutely. Uh, even Connery, who didn't direct, acts like a, like a director, understands the language of film. I mean, he was so intuitive, and you can see it in his work. He was such a movie star, you know, for being someone who wasn't necessarily exposed to it early. It just, it's something that was in the DNA, and he just got better with time. Mm -hmm. Kelly, of course, you know, masterful, heavily influenced by your grandfather, and made no, you know, uh, uh, qualms about it. He, he referenced him constantly and gave him great credit. Um, wonderful director. His dream ballets, you know, his choreography, his, his uh, use of the camera um, was amazing. And just as a specimen, so it crosses between, you know, a, an individual who understands the language of the medium and um, a, and st I mean, storytellers all really, but the, the physical specimens, the, 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 the unique uh, examples of, of just, just this acute ability to to um, communicate with with what we're born with, with our physical mm -hmm. form, mm -hmm. with you know body and timing and silhouette, and you know is just it, that that never ceases to amaze and will always um, uh, prevail. And it's somehow perhaps a, a bit of a forgotten art in the age of the close up um mm -hmm. you know so what i really lean in when i see actors who know how to use their bodies you know um and i was it it's weird you mentioned back to the future for some i think it, it was last night i was making some photo selections and it was on tnt and they ran one two and three together oh, wow. i've never actually seen all of three and i still haven't Okay. Because by the time that one came on, I fell asleep. But I was, you know, I hadn't seen these movies in a long time, yeah, to be course. honest. And they hold up, and they're wonderful, and they and they're really fun. And I just kind of pop in and out. And Crispin Glover's um, performance in in one uh, as George McFly, his, his as a physical actor, he was wonderful. His body, his choices, the specificity of his physicality was fantastic. But it's funny, you know, mentioned Back to the Future. But that, yes, that list of those lists of artists um, uh, using the body as a basically as a as a piece of uh, you know, uh, equipment, <laughs> a filmmaking tool. Yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. That's very nice. And so, do you remember? Do you remember the time when you first kind of saw a Chaplin film? You know. It, I make it such a regular part of my diet, and now I've exposed okay. my 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 uh, now ten and seven year old daughters. Early on, we we I exposed them to to Charlie, and the and they love him. Um, and I, I, the frequency, you know, has eclipsed the my memory of the first time. It's just it's just. A character and performance in a, and mm -hmm. a canon that I've lived with for so long that I honestly don't remember the first time. Okay. I, I, and it's not really as significant as the last yeah, yeah. Um, to me. Every time you see it, it's completely fresh and poignant and meaningful and you never tire. 
you, as you bring your life's experience and, and the, the knowledge you learn over the ages or whether it's history or as you, as you inform your viewing every, every time, you, you see more. You know, you, you start to understand the, uh, the relevance. And that's what I've really enjoyed, enjoyed in my recent years of, you know, more of a, uh, the, ana- the kind of analysis and appreciation of uh, performance and um, as service. I mean, I attribute any success, including getting that job back to the future, you know, to prior just months before, before I came. And then upon my arrival, the beginning of those two weeks, connecting with the concept of service, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I, and gratitude, the humility that I feel is, you know, runs through and what makes, you know, your grandfather's work so poignant and timeless. It's the connection to humanity. So the, Absolutely. I, I, Drove to the Hollywood sign up in Beechwood where I was living as close to it as I could get then climbed illegally close to it. <laughs> but I remember at this particular moment, I drove and stopped and was like, all right, what do you got? You know, I offer I offer these services to the for the highest expression to like who deserves form? Who the hell deserves form? Why should I get to be a movie star? Mm-hmm. And, you know, who deserves it? And the answer was the worthy. Well, what's worthy? You know, and all I can come back with was service. And if that means, you know, because it's a bullhorn to, to billions of people, you know, yeah, that's true. Is, is, a, is a privilege, like beyond compare. What do you do with that? What is the highest expression of that? Or at least be aware of it, right? And, and when you look at the, at the, there are very few examples of the, the, the uh, the usage to its highest expression. And I feel Charlie Chaplin, uh, Gene Kelly, the, the list, you mm-hmm. know, delivered those two in particular, okay. constantly open the heart, right? If, if, if the idea is opening, you know, empathy and humor and connectivity and, and moral compass and always being, you know, on the right side of history and thumbing your nose to tyranny and being exactly. like really getting a sense of like, okay, here's compass and here's self-deprecation and here's humility <laughs> and here's like, you know, it, you know, never beyond, you know, self-correction, but a bit of a punk, right? <laughs> like yeah, as yeah. Well, punk rock spirit <laughs> that is still pretty cool. Um, those things just float to the top always. And um, so that coupled with service, which I think is a service, reminding people of the highest expression of the human condition, uniquely from the seeming or socially agreed lowest. And that's the magic. He picked the immigrant. He picked the, who in, in, to, you know, we need the tramp more than ever today. Yeah. You know, um, where society forgets and cyclically forgets, 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 and racism bubbles up, and and nationalism and all of the all of the things he railed against are back and hardcore. Mm. And um, we, I just feel like you know, 
we need a real firm reminder of um, the things that united us all. Um, and uh, those were the, those were the, those were the, the, the subject of the pillars I think he touched. And uh, that's, you know, so mm. that's why it's, his work is so significant to me. You know, considering he had a certain stance on, on certain issues and everything, it's just funny that someone that doesn't speak has such a big impact on the world and you still don't understand what he's saying. The microphone was the beginning of a huge, unfortunate pause button. It wasn't an enabler. Mm -hmm. it, it, it locked our borders. It was the silent film it was it was this universal language and universal themes that connected everyone and made your grandfather the biggest star in russia and eisenstein and you know temkin you know his his films caused riots in manhattan you know it, it these were uni universal universal themes um and you know liberation liberty freedom um, yeah, for sure. You know, a fair shake, uh, coming out from under tyranny, uh, the bully taking on the bully. You know, any culture, mm -hmm. every culture. Um, I just love that he, you know, he chose a socioeconomic uh, kind of prejudice to address. He chose the, you know, I love when he plays, you know the fault and the privileged, even if mistaken as such. Um, I, you know, it's great to see him play that character as well, but it's from the point of view of, you know, the street urchin or, you know, someone that society had deemed, you know, untouchable and lovable inhuman. Exactly. Yeah. Um, he made the most heroic and uh, romantic and uh, powerful you know, the strongest, the smartest. That, and this parks back to what I was talking about, you know, when you when you bring whatever knowledge you've had over, over the years to, to a new viewing, the latest kind of thing is I was thinking about it before the interview, I said, okay, what's, you know, what's in, you've, you've waxed on about Chaplin in interviews before, <laughs> you've praised him. Like, what, what's, what's new? Come on, don't be tired. What do you got? <laughs> and the thing that hit me today while brushing my teeth was um, the uh, it, it certainly wasn't the first time in history just because it was cinematic that that kind of impact happened. It was the first time it was distributed at such a wide scale. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. And, so right. and made it, I can't say it wasn't, you know, like the court gesture, right? whose job it was to parody and make fun of the king and not get executed, right? Like mm -hmm. this was this was the job description. And had anyone else done it, they would have lost a head. But, you know, it kind of, he was brought in to keep, I don't know how honest, but at least just not be beyond reproach and have, you know, a, light, a little bit of fun at, at the ruler's expense. This was the role, and this is the Harlequin. This became, you know, Harlequino in Commedia dell'Art and Bugs Bunny in, you know, Warner Brothers cartoons after, mm. uh, after the pop, but our grandfather. So the the role of of 
the comedian and social satire and court politics, uh, you know, through the ages have been ever present. I think since the early comedians in ancient Greece, since Aristophanes, you know, plays the frogs and the clouds, which are basically, you know, vaudeville, right with like fart jokes and really raw and sexy and bawdy and, you know, it's just absurd, but social comedy, right? Or social comment. And uh, so that's been with us forever. But, you know, at the, with the advent of cinema, the, you know, first to the races who really took the charge and use those tools for their greatest end, not just a laugh to have a pie in the face or to do a buster and fall on your ass or have a, you know, crazy stunts or like every, like, like the first photograph taken, the hot girlfriend. Yeah. Right. You know, it's like, <laughs> do you mind taking that off? You know, I think the first photograph was like, it was artist studio. It's like, I think, I think we need a nude. Uh, you know. Never changes through history. No, it's um, was uh, the uh, was his use of 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 the medium and the tools, and it just blew up from there. Yeah, my uh, my father always told me that you know my grandfather was probably the first person to realize that that you know you can mix comedy and tragedy together. But not only that, the, the importance of having the right music to the right scene. Um, which is and so then write great. it. I'm sorry, not everyone just then goes, Oh, yeah, let me compose that piece of music. <laughs> That's the crazy thing. Is there anyone who's really uh, gone there uh, and gone, Huh, you know what piece of music this really needs? Excuse me, while I just compose, smile, and uh, holy cow. Uh, no, he wasn't. He could even. The funny thing is, is that he couldn't. He wasn't like trained in music as well. He just. Of course, he wasn't. You can tell. Of course, I mean, it's just, it just came out like, uh, God, that that was. I don't. I bet there's people who don't even realize because they wouldn't dare venture. You know, hmm. what was the? Can you bottle that confidence? You know, was it out of necessity? Was it for lack of? Because they were in some, you know, yeah. some beach desert <laughs> stage, just you know, trying to make you know. What, I mean, who knows under what conditions? But you just have to wonder what was the. I just love the the limitless um, confidence. Yeah. I know he he, 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 yeah, he definitely didn't lack confidence. He just went straight ahead, full on. You know, he mm. did absolutely everything. And God, do you? Uh, I mean, do you have a a particular film that means something to yours? I mean, I know his speech in The Great Dictator blew up, especially with everything going on nowadays. But uh, any scenes or anything stick out to mind? Um, Gold Rush is really fun. Yeah, to me, um, I. There, the, the, there. I know it's really simple, but it's the it's like the French farce. It's the simplicity of the doors and inside, outside, in the cabin, outside the cabin. Just the, <laughs> that that you know, and moving you know, in the two doors. I just I, I love the economy of of a couple of some of the long sequences in that, and the uh, the concept of you know 
consideration of cannibalism because <laughs> it's getting a little bit huh, uh, so you know, funny. When the coin drops of like we're getting hungry and he, you know, a big burly guy looks at the you know looks at him like his little chicken leg yeah, yeah, yeah. his reaction when he's realizing <laughs> that you know it is a genius it's genius i love that just oh and that, i don't know that just speaks volumes yeah, because, you know, I don't know if you knew, but the, the house which he was in in Switzerland, our family home, is now a, a museum. I've been. I was given a private tour ah. um, by your Ask Your Managing Director or your head. I have his card somewhere. Okay. I'm going to send you, I'm going to send you some photos of me interacting with the very life-size statues yes. of him. Which are very funny. I could like I, I was in the barber chair, shaving, <laughs> doing the shaving, but I'm interacting. Like, can you just do a little off the side? <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And my favorite is when he's waving like this. Yes. Standing, his back, and he's, and he's doing this. Yes. Right. Exactly. Well, I stood in front of this hand and pretended like he goose me, <laughs> which was okay. <laughs> he's waving. I'm like, that's hey, so what's, funny. What's Handsy, handsy. Oh, that's great He's that like, you went. Because yeah. I was going to say, there's that they also have the cabin, don't they, from the Gold Rush? They they recreated they it. Yeah, which yes. is uh, it's funny. an incredible museum. It's so well curated and um, built and executed. It's I recommend anyone's trip uh, to Geneva, or Montreux. Yeah, up by. Apparently, you worked with Claire Bloom, Claire Bloom on Broadway. Yes, um, and. I mean, for people who don't know, she was in Limelight, my grandfather's film, yeah. the leading lady. Um, did she tell you any stories about working with my granddad or Buster Keaton? Um, she, uh, she said it, it. What a what a unique uh, privilege that was as a young lady. She just thought she was, you know, she had a very charmed um, experience in, in that. You know, mm. the same. It, it was just a to to be working with um, you know the masters so young was a great was just a, a great privilege as an artist. We had a really um, wonderful time doing a play called Six Dance Lessons in Six Weeks on the London stage at the uh, Royal Haymarket, and it was a two hander, and it wow. was a, a very charming comedy and sensitive comedy, and. Uh, Beautiful story. Really, really lovely, lovely play. By the way, how is it being working on the stage uh, for Broadway? Did you? Is it? How does it differ from acting in in movies? It's a good question because it, it's a it's a very strange. I've described it as a, a strange cocktail of abject terror and boredom. Okay. Which is a very strange combination of emotions, you know, <laughs> like. You know, mostly it's like I, I mustn't be too far from the theater at three o'clock because God knows if I'm just the concept of being late. The idea that you have to be, you know, obviously you have to have call times in the morning and there's margin of error, but a live performance, you know, you get those butterflies kind of just making sure you're there. Yes. Um, that was just always something weird. And the beauty that by that hopefully you learn the material soon enough to actually enjoy or welcome beautiful accidents or for, you know, having fun. But for the most part, by the time you go through previews and you're being reviewed, you know the material, <laughs> the yes. least of all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You should be reviewed, you know, and uh, you're, um, 
you know, you're just kind of getting, you're finding uh, its legs. I love the uh, spontaneity. I love improvisation. I love rolling with the mood of a, of a crowd, like a DJ in a way, but, um, and working with others in this, you know, conspiracy mm -hmm. and the whole backstage life is, is something I adore, which is usually filled with, you know, comedy sabotage and okay. high school antics i mean it's just it's just child's play you all you do is like you know you're messing with people and each other and yourself and you're being constantly messed with two seconds before you go on stage but like right here it's it's uh, the back row of a you know english class in high school it's just literally the goofiest experience um in some cases, yeah. however, in others, it's, it certainly can be quite serious. And then you, um, the long haul and the repetition is a very, uh, is a very curious um, experience. Yeah. I think I'm a creature of cinema, but I do, I do enjoy the stage uh, very much. Every, every five years or so. I'll okay. On board. Did you, what, what do you do? You did two shows a day then? Was it? Uh, not every day. Okay. Uh, but, Two, two to three times a week, you would do two shows. Two, yeah. two days. Two no, it's a, it's a pretty... Uh, eight, eight to ten shows. It's a grind. And you're like, okay, <laughs> you know, yeah, did that. But it's... The, I think the last time on any kind of scale was um, playing, uh, um, well, rest of soul, Christopher Plummer's role in mm -hmm. um, um, The Sound of Music at the Lyric Opera in Chicago. Oh, wow. <clears> that must be was, that was wonderful. 3,500 seat theater, which we filled maybe three times. <laughs> you know, <laughs> massive barn, probably the biggest, the insanely huge theater. Yeah. Uh, theater. And um, a, a perfect play. It's, you know, you bask in the love of seven children, fight the Nazis, and fall in love. Yes, so, exactly. You know, amazing. And uh, so. Is there any movies or roles that you regret turning down over your career? I don't know. I don't put much stock in regret. Yeah. Um, you know, changing the past <laughs> to the point of Back to the Future, if I may go back again, <laughs> may just create a paradox. Break the time-space continuum. <laughs> Destroy the universe as we know it. Spencer, how could you? So no, nothing. Good. Although you I, like know, I know I, I, I was very, I, I didn't want to keep playing, you know, psycho killers. Like you, Hollywood's funny. You do, you play a crazy guy in a boat. You know, you're the crazy guy in a boat. Yeah, I see what you're you the mean. crazy guy in a house. So you're the. I just, <laughs> I enjoy, you know. After a while, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have change it up. So I've, you know focused on um other things and and exploring like i i, I love um i kind of treat every every role a bit like i approach it like a comedy because that's it's really um i think it's it's a the absurdity of even the greatest tragedy um is, is there's there's such a pulse about um be it gallows humor or just mm. or irony or or um i think it's a it was just a, a way to approach 
um, complex and, and complicated characters or harrowing circumstances was to lean into it and, and know that the there is a it's also a great way to relieve pressure in a thriller or a, you know something a little more tense yeah of course so it was my you know saving grace <laughs> no yeah you have a good sense of humor <laughs> thank you and uh, so do you have any projects coming up uh, you know with everything going on are you still being able to work yeah i'm it's it's ramped up well at the beginning of covid we were just um scouting and putting together a, a project I'm producing and um, acting in, which I'm very uh, excited by, um, called Waltzing with Brando, which is about um, uh, Marlon and his architect, Bernard Judge, okay. uh, and, uh, who he employed to uh, initially build uh, a vision he had, which was then carried on um, by... Um, a gentleman named Richard Bailey, and and to this present day, this island, he, he, the island he had in Tahiti, um, uh, called Techeroa, which he bought right after doing um, Mutiny on the Bounty, uh, he had a vision for always wanting to make a a sustainable, kind of closed loop, zero carbon footprint compound. He was fascinated by technology and science and wanted to create a, a place where great minds can try to solve big problems. I didn't know much about this. I didn't know this about Brando. Okay. I, know, and, you know, I knew him as an activist for civil rights and indigenous rights. Did not know about his passion for environmentalism, certainly not in 1968, you know, 1970 when no one was talking about this stuff. For the most okay, part. amazing. So it's a story about him as a visionary, but it's a comedy for the most part. It's a, you know, it's a relationship. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a ironic and, and surprising look at an artist we think we know between Godfather and, you know, maybe Apocalypse Now, okay. um, building this uh, incredible destination. I read as well that you're very much into, um environmentalism so it's quite funny so that obviously drew you to this movie about brando as well if you i'm surprised to hear yes. that he was as well very early on into that sort of and science. yeah interesting um his you know his passion for um it's just it, it just gleaning uh knowledge from you know nasa scientists on how to make a uh, sustainable and closed loop compound, you know, and try to uh, preserve the oceans in the process. That's so and cool. How to, you know, cool the, create air conditioning using deep water cooling called SWAC, which they actually built salt water air conditioning, you know, a very amazing, amazing thing. So yes, Brando as a science enthusiast uh, was, a, was a very interesting story. So I'm, I'm, we're making that. We start, we shot some of it at the beginning of COVID and now we're, going to do the rest uh, in Tahiti okay, um, wow. going back so, um, and uh, but presently I'm working on um, uh, a mini a limited series with Kevin Hart uh, oh, cool. right now and uh, will probably look like I'll reprise my uh, role in uh, um, I wonder what I'm allowed to speak about I think I'm in the boys uh, oh cool so 
just a cameo where I played, you know, so I'm doing a little Netflix, a little Amazon. These things are still happening, which is cool, but really focusing on um, the brando of it all. Okay, fantastic. Well, Billy Zane, I can't thank you enough for uh, coming on Spencer, the show. my huh? great pleasure. Thank you, my friend. It's, it's a real been... honor to talk to you. Huh? The pleasure's mine. Anytime. Let's uh, do it again. Yeah, absolutely. You know I love the subject. And I'm such a fan. <laughs> Uh, and thank you for keeping, uh, you know, the, the, the beauty and impact of your grandfather's work uh, accessible in, you know, these delivery systems and these modern tools. I think it's very smart, noble. No, thank um, you. I mean, thank you for taking part in it, for sure. Huh? Uh, I love hearing I love hearing stories as well. You're the first actor to uh, appear on the on the really? show. Yes. Which wow. is wow. So which is really cool. Uh, so thank you again. huh? My great pleasure, and thank you, my friend. Cheers.